0: They're so good, these.
1: I'm wondering if I can get away as a cold open with just the sound of you eating with no context. Just you going, "Mm." oh, they're good. It seems to be a never-ending bag. You've been eating these for ages. They are value for money, i tell you now. They definitely fill them to the top. There's no air in there. No, there's not.
0: You get a full packet. you Audacity. Right, I have finished my mega bag of crisps now. I will just let the listeners know that it was a 25-gram bag.
1: Yeah, but you were eating it for about 25 minutes. No, I wasn't. I like how you look to the screen. No, it's been uh, 5 minutes 42 seconds. Mm. Burton's
0: biscuits make fish and chips. Did you know that? I didn't know that.
1: Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with this story. Mm. Takes place during the Georgian era, and this first before
0: the Victorian
1: era. Yes, and this first paragraph has a lot of words that I may mispronounce. Ready? Mm-hmm. Farzana Zeb Unnisa was born in the city of Sardhana near Meerut in the Uttar Pradesh region of India at some point around
0: 1750. Wow, that's a that's a sentence and a half, it isn't is. it? Well done, well Thank done. You.
1: We don't know exactly when she was born. Because Fazana was poor
0: yeah, and also, I do believe, as um, one of my friends is uh, originates from India, she um, her family don't have records because um, a lot of them have been destroyed, mm. you know, the, the kind of the caste system and
1: Well, she was poor, and quite quickly into her life career, she was an orphan. Oh, God! So things were not going well. In terms of keeping hold of your birth certificate and your papers, it's not the kind of thing a six-year-old thinks about. No. Even worse, Mm. the area of India she was born into at the time was being argued over by the Maratha and Durrani empires and the Rahila chiefs, amongst others. Gosh.
0: Yeah.
1: And wherever war is, the living standards of the local population are likely to reduce a bit. Yeah, they do. I mean, if you look at the living standards of the average Brit, reducing at the moment and the war is far over in Eastern Europe. Yes. So we're, in, the, the war that we're not involved in. If you imagine if it was literally yeah. on your doorstep yeah, between here and the Booze Buster war mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it'd be very difficult. Farzana she could easily have died of starvation on the streets of Sardhana but there was one other option available to her. Sometime before the age of 10 Farzana was taken in by the owners of a local kotha. Right. These were pleasure houses, where women would be expected to dance, and oh, maybe my... a little bit more. Oh God! For men who oh, could afford it. God. Naturally, considering you know, at the time Sardhana was a war zone, a significant proportion of the clientele that young Fazana saw were soldiers. Was... Yeah. Out for a good time. And oh cru- my goodness! <laughs> I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of time to imagine a ten-year-old girl no, dancing to the No, I'd
0: really rather not give myself that mental image if I'm okay. going to be honest. It's, uh, yeah. Well, increasingly,
1: uh, the visitors to the Kotha were European soldiers because by the mid-1700s, the French, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the Norwegians and even the Danes had all established trading posts. And just imagine pale-skinned Scandinavians yeah, having to go and deal with with the heat of, you know, sort of... Is it mid-India? We're right in the centre of India yeah. here. You know, it's more northerly, so they're not fully subtropical, but it's still it's still balmy. Yeah. It's not easy. And no. malarial infections were quite common amongst these poor, poor Scandinavians oh, yeah. who didn't know what they were getting into. No. But they'd all established trading posts and begun infiltrating and manipulating the local leaders in an effort to gain even greater influence in order wow. to increase the amount of money they were taken out. Uh-huh. Now, the English crown had nobly decided to rise above such petty politicking and had not joined the scramble for India. Right. How good's that? But we definitely did. Ah, well, although the crown hadn't got involved, yeah. the British East India Company they had been formed in 1600... Go. Had joined in with gusto, yeah, uh, and was by this point a monopoly on British trade with the Indian subcontinent, okay. with bases in Madras, Bombay, and Bengal, Ooh. with a standing army. Bear in mind, this was a private company, yeah, that was larger than the official British army. Ooh, so they had more soldiers to call on than the king at oh, any given for time, sake. right? This was allowed due to the kickbacks that were being given to the government. Meaning that the king had a vested interest in the British East India Company continuing to expand its business interests, and increasingly, this was achieved via guns.
0: <laughs> I mean, it just—it just gets better and better, really, doesn't it?
1: Well, we start off with all the highfalutin kind of, um, "We're gonna ennoble you. We're gonna bring yeah. you up from the savages." But we've had culture for thousands. At shut up, you savage. We're gonna make I it know, proper. I culture. mean, just. And then after a while it's
0: like well, The amount of nations we did that to is quite
1: frankly disgusting. You're disagreeing with us so much we're going to have to start shooting some of you oh, can for we democracy. Just,
0: can we also just uh shout out to the indigenous uh, people of Canada because it is their day today. Is it Canada Day? What is it? It is Indigenous Population of Canada Day. Yeah, they need Celebrating a... the Indigenous They need people. a more catchy
1: title, but it's a it's a good day to celebrate. Okay. Yeah. boop. boop. So, they need to get some advertising um mogul onto that to kind of tighten it up, make it a bit more snappy I,
0: yeah they they do they need so, they need a i don't know, but yeah, anyway, just thought I'd yeah, know, yeah as people that we've kind of ruined
1: we did cover no, we didn't cover um one of the stories that I'm hoping to do about the Darien scheme mm. uh, a bunch of Scots went over to Canada and just stole exactly. a native Canadian yeah. and brought him home, yeah, yeah. just like he he's pulled his canoe up to the the scottish ship to see what was going on and they went (laughs) oh we'll have him yeah and just took him home as like a curiosity like look what we found oh for goodness sake yeah anyway back to the indian subcontinent Mm -hmm. which is far cry from northern canada in terms of weather if nothing else and (laughs) geography yeah let's be fair so in june of 1763 A member of the East India Company called William Ellis Mm -hmm. decided that it would be great if the company could be in control of Patna, which was one of the thirty biggest cities in the entire country at the time. So he's aiming high, with an inflated sense of self-importance. Could you imagine it, Brit? (laughs) William believed. Never known a Brit have an inflated sense of ego before. (laughs) Well, he looked at this, you know, thirtieth most populous city in India. And Uh he went, right, in order to take that over, I'm going to need at least 500 men.
0: Yeah.
1: 500 men, he talked with him. This naturally resulted in an embarrassing loss, as the city authorities had had the foresight to hire some European mercenaries of their very own. The battle is notable, as it also resulted in two separate massacres. The first during the battle itself on June 25th, and the second on October 6th, when 45 East India Company men and over 200 Indian sepoys were executed for trying to overthrow the city. Oh, for goodness sake. The first of these massacres was mainly perpetrated by an Austrian called Walter Reinhardt Sombra, Mm -hmm. who reportedly single-handedly killed over 150 Englishmen during the battle and was forever after known as the Butcher of Patna. Good title. Yeah, I mean, these are Rambo sort of levels of kills. Oh,
0: don't. no you're bringing my beloved Rambo into it. I grew up on films like that, so Rambo forever has a very soft spot. But we're talking about a battle that was maybe
1: six hours and he killed 150 plus people. He was... They drew first blood. And he was Austrian, so maybe the better um, would be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. Would be the better um, comparison for Walter. Like a commando type. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Walter's passion for murdering the English was only matched by his passion for women. The women's. In the women's. And in 1764, he went to a kotha in Sardana. Oh, my God. Where he saw a 14-year-old Farzana dancing. Walter, who was 45 at the time, it's a nice 31-year age gap. He was instantly smitten with her. He was three times her age near enough a little bit more, actually. I'm
0: trying. I'm trying really hard not to bring up a little sick at the back of my throat. Well, he was like
1: that. That teenager can dance. Look at her twerk. It's absolutely revolting. There was a small snag, and it wasn't the age gap. It was the fact that he was already married to an Indian woman who was remembered to history simply as Baddie Bibby, which means senior lady.
0: Baddie Bibby.
1: Yeah. So she, she just had her nickname, which was Senior Lady. Okay. However, Farzana was happy to leave the coffer as a nearly wife and embark on the much more exciting career of mercenary for hire.
0: Okay.
1: Despite the fact that she was a slight woman who was only four foot eight inches tall, Farzana Gosh. was given the name Begum Samru as a sign of respect, uh-huh. which meant literally Samru's wife, Samru and Sombra apparently being interchangeable. Okay. So whereas, um, you know, the first wife was called a senior lady, her nickname was literally Sombra's wife because she spent more time with him because right. she went with him everywhere he went, including two battles where she would fight.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, right.
1: And she turned out to be remarkably good at it. Not only the fighting itself, but the tactics involved. She had a natural understanding of the ebb and flow in battle and she was often the person who was... Essentially directing the troops.
0: Gosh, I do apologise. That's my phone.
1: Why is it not on aeroplane mode?
0: Because I don't even know how to do that, but I do know how to turn the sound off. It's been nearly two years. what must have been nearly two years. Hmm. Hang on. Bear with. There we go. I'm not very tech savvy.
1: So, yeah, not only was she the one who was directing traffic during the battles, but Walter wasn't particularly precious about it and was happy for you know, the credit to be given to her where it was due. And as a result, she earned the respect of both his troops and all of the local rulers that they would occasionally fight for. Mm. With the tactical genius of Begum Samru, Walter was able to make tons of money fighting for a string of local rulers. Mm. The couple were also often gifted with parcels of land in exchange for their services, and soon... This accumulated geographical footprint was Uh large enough that Walter could be considered a local chief in his own right. Wow. Begum Samru eased into the life of a ruler with as much gusto and success as she had the life of a mercenary, often being the only woman in attendance at important meetings.
0: I mean, this is quite progressive, really, for the time. I mean,
1: she's a one on her own. She really was a one on her own. And she was always very noticeable in these meetings because she would be sat in the corner... Nodding sagely while smoking her hooker pipe, which Amazing. apparently she had everywhere. She had a, a transportable one. So whenever they went off to meet dignitaries, it would be like, and there is my wife in the corner.
0: Amazing.
1: Smoking away like the wise old caterpillar. From I was just going to say like,
0: like the caterpillar from Alice. Oh. Then
1: in 1778, Walter died suddenly. Oh, It could have spelled the M for Begum Samru. Mm. But by this point, she'd impressed Walter's troops to the point that they were more than happy to follow her rather than to replace her. Oh, gosh. So they all got together wow. and went, which of us is going to lead now that Walter's dead? And they're like, well, to be fair, it was it was Begum who was doing most of the stuff. Mm. Um, she's never lost a battle and sh- she makes sure that we make a lot of money.
0: Yeah,
1: we'll keep her. Yeah, we'll keep her. We'll give her a go at least. Yeah. Begum Samru eventually ruled over what could be called a small kingdom Amazing. with her capital at Sardhana, so she didn't forget her roots. From being an orphan on the streets of Sardhana, she now had a palace there. Oh. In battle, she was considered to be unbeatable. And on more than one occasion, she was leading the only troops that withstood British assaults in combined Maratha forces. Wow. So all the other Maratha sort of chieftains would be running away and uh-huh. she would just be continuing to... You know, if she had the left flank, the left flank would not crumble. No. No. And apparently she would like withstand a charge, counterattack, and then when she saw that everyone else was losing, her troops would march off the field in good order. Brilliant. So this is an orderly withdrawal. It is not a retreat because no. Begum Samru does not retreat. No. This made two things happen. Firstly, okay. because she was a woman. She was um it was intimated strongly that she was some kind of witch.
0: Of course. Because Always go to witchcraft. She couldn't the... just be a really capable, really strong-headed, wonderful
1: woman. No, 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 witch. Oh, she had to be strong-headed because in order to make sure that all of her troops could see her during the battle, and being that she was f- four foot eight, mm. she not only rode the biggest horse she could get hands on, so imagine like a shire horse, yeah. she also wore apparently a massive turban <laughs> at all times. Amazing. That added like three foot... To her overall God, frame. So imagine. she needed that strong head. Yeah. But the other thing that it did, mm. uh, it forced the British Raj to negotiate with her rather than to keep getting embarrassed on the field of battle by her. Oh my goodness. So like, well, w- well, let's talk terms. Uh-huh. Because we really, we want to seem like we're the people who are, you know, invincible and you're really making that difficult. Yes. With all the times you're beating us. Uh-huh. So essentially the The agreement was that they would let her be if upon her death a certain amount of the land that she had would be entrusted over to the British. So it's like um, mm. releasing equity in your home only instead of equity it was, um, you know, preventing the British from constantly trying to invade. Yeah, This kind of shored up the last of the potential threats to her. Mm-hmm. And in fact, her undisputed rule was only threatened once
0: okay. when her
1: troops... They said that they might be of a mind to revolt. Oh, okay, Th- controversial. But what what's caused this change of heart? Well,
0: I don't know. Did she get pregnant? Did she marry? Oh, Did close, yes.
1: They found out that she had taken a secret lover and was considering marriage. Ah... It had to be something like that. Her troops were probably more concerned that Begum Samru might be considering allowing this new man to take over the duties of ruler.
0: Oh, that's probably rather than more thinking likely. that it would it
1: would stop her from doing it. Yeah, uh, and they were a bit worried because he was French. Oh God, his name, Lavasso. Lavasso. What does that mean? The saucy Frenchman. I don't know. I think it's just a name. Okay. In the event, Begum Samru managed to escape the plot. Uh, to kill her and replace her.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, it was while running away with her fancy Frenchman, she had a change of heart about the entire thing. Okay. And thought, you know, he's he's a bit hot. You know, he's got is some...
0: saucy yeah, French sauce.
1: But is he worth <laughs> abandoning a literal kingdom I've spent two decades building? No. She convinced Lavasseau to enter into a suicide pact and dramatically slashed her own throat to kick things off. See, what?! Seeing the blood pouring from her neck, Lavasso took out his pistol and shot himself in the head.
0: That's got to be some kind of... like That's like a Romeo and Juliet deal. That's She's got to have faked it.
1: Once she was certain that he was dead, probably with a few stabs into the bullet hole just to be sure, yeah. she wiped the blood away from the relatively small nick she had made in her skin yeah. and returned to her stronghold to reconcile with her forces.
0: Oh. I mean, talk about a bluff that
1: could have gone badly, couldn't it? Well, yeah, but it didn't. She was bold. She was bold. She. Yeah. She. She. She looked at that that problem that she had, and she was like, "I have a high risk, high reward solution to this. Let's go, uh huh, slashy, slashy." <laughs> From that point on, Begum Samru did not risk her position by looking for love again. Though that's not to say that she tried to suppress her feelings wholesale, and on one occasion she took the decision to financially support the family of a former lover. Ooh. And this was, you know, he'd had a wife and two kids after she broke things off with him. Yeah. Um, and she bestowed a pension on this random woman and her two kids for the rest of their lives, just based on the fact that, you know, she she once felt something for their dad. Uh-huh. Slash husband. By the time she'd reached the grand old age of 85, she was worth a frankly insane amount. Approximately... 30 billion pounds in today's money shut the front door and she's... I, I
0: mean you can't even you can't even quantify that i mean i know somebody can settle with 30 billion but it's like how do you even yeah you can't can you
1: well she you know by this time as well she's in her 80s so she's reduced in size she's about 4 foot 4 now wow and this tiny woman with a massive turban was just worth more than Midas. It yeah. was insanity. But with no children, because no. she was not allowed to to have love and lust. No. Who was she go- Who was she going to give it to? Well, that's a big question. I don't know. As part of the negotiations, obviously with the British, the vast majority of the land was going to be inherited by the East India Company. Yeah. Along with all of the weapons she had amassed along the course of her career. Wow. But there was still a preposterous amount of money left over that she needed to bequeath to someone. It needed to be bequeathed. Bequeathed. Mm. Though she had not had any children, her nearly husband, Walter, had with his actual wife, Baddy Bibby, Baddy Bibby. Their children had had children, and their children had done likewise. And eventually, this had produced the great-grandchild of her former partner, half Indian, half Scottish, David Octoloney, Dice. Amazing name. It is. When offered the opportunity to become the heir to billions, David obviously immediately agreed. He moved in with Begum Samru and added the extra surname Sombra in honour of her. Oh. Begum Samru tried her best to instruct him on how to survive in the high-powered world of the upper classes. Yeah. Because his dad had been a soldier. Yeah. You know, and his mum had just been... yeah, you know, She was from this lineage, but she hadn't really lived with begum no she reportedly taught him how to survive the cutthroat world by poisoning a servant in front of young david and telling him bluntly that she could do the same to him at any time with no consequences wow That's which brutal yeah it's fine for a young teenager to hear that. I'm sure yeah, that, it's going that to have left... no long-lasting effects. I was just
0: going to say, that's going to leave no scars whatsoever. Mm. Won't need therapy for that
1: one, then. In 1836, she finally died, having lived a kick-ass and amazing life Yeah, that makes Queen Elizabeth I look like a tatty knockoff in comparison. Absolutely. No, I agree. Ca- You know, she came from a, a much more humble beginning. Oh, yeah. She had a kingdom... Just as impressive, and she made a shit ton more money, let's be fair.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of
1: like what she actually achieved, I reckon more mm. by quite a way. And this left David Octoloni sombra, who was 28 at the time, immediately beset on all sides by people either seeking to withhold his inheritance yeah. or to try and grab a piece of it.
0: Of course. I mean, the vultures descend, don't they?
1: Oh, yeah. She was a strong-willed woman that you wouldn't cross. No. David was David. Yeah. He'd never fought in a battle. No. He'd earned no respect from anyone. And to be honest, everyone was a bit like, I'm guessing the rest of the family, because he wasn't the only child. Oh, no, no. We're going, why?
0: Why him? Why him? Yeah.
1: Firstly, the British reneged on most of the agreements they had made with Begum Samru. Oh, what a surprise. They wouldn't pay agreed pensions to her soldiers, they took more land than had been agreed and refused to pay David for all of the weapons that they had took possession of when they took the land. Fab. But David was also attacked by his own family, specifically his dad, who felt that his son should be sharing the fortune with him. Of course. Um, the dad had his son arrested um, for, for, I believe, sake. you know, in, in a, he was trying to get him put in debtor's prison, basically, for some, some reason. Right. So he owes me money despite the fact that the will was quite clear that it was being left in its entirety to David. Yeah. And his argument was, well, my sperm made that.
0: Yeah, but how many, I mean, going back to Poirot, because, you know, there's a Poirot for every occasion. Um, you always you always see people's true colours when it comes to wills and money mm. and stuff like that. And it, usually, if it's not women, it's money.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's lust or cash, really, mm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. But for David, the solution to both of the issues that he faced was exactly the same. Leave his homeland, where he'd been disinherited of his lands, and head for London. Like I say, his father did try to scupper this plan by having David temporarily arrested. Yeah. But being as how he had access to a literal fortune, Dice Sombra was able to pay the ridiculously inflated bail and was on the next ship out of India before any other charges could be brought. Oh, wow. By travelling to London, Dice was hoping to challenge the behaviour of the East India Company in an English court, naively hoping that this would naturally result in the company being forced to adhere to the contracts they had signed. Yeah, that's very naive, isn't it? The English, they're a country of, of laws and fair play. No, if they... I just explain the situation, I'm sure. No, the East India Company were a law unto their bloody selves. Oh, he was naive, but yeah, he wasn't stupid. He was by no means stupid. Mm. He could speak three languages and apparently his favorite pastime was doing maths puzzles. Like sudoku. Well, this is before the advent of sudoku, so I don't know what it what it was that was considered oh, a maths puzzle. Oh, be like those maths ones, ones that
0: I always leave in puzzlers. It'd be oh. like that. Those ones that make literally no sense.
1: Well, you should have handed them off to Dice Sombra. He I would have been have done. very happy. Yeah he was also confident that all of the skills that begum samru had taught him would mean that he could easily rise to the top of london high society and use an ever-growing list of influential friends um to start making his case right
0: okay so he's obviously well well not aware of uh, any potential racism that he might face there
1: no because he 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 grew up in Begum Samru's court and all of the Brits who came to her court were scared of her yes and they were very sort of oh yes yes we'll yes obviously we'll we'll follow what you've said Mm. there and "Mm." so his experience of English people are not the experience that most Indians had of the English at that time it was a very unique experience he had and it had given him a very A false sense of security as to how how successful his plan would be, let's say. very rose-tinted. But saying that, if he'd gone straight to England, he might have had a shot. Uh Uh-huh. However, he had money. So he decided to take a more circuitous route. Okay. Naturally, if you're trying to get to Britain from India, he travelled via China. I, I don't know the geography on that. So, generally speaking, if you're going to go from India to England, you'd go west. Yeah. He decided to go east interesting yep. okay uh, he then decided it would be fun to do an ad- hoc grand tour of Europe before finally getting stuck into some legal arguments but by late 1839 he was finally getting off a boat in England to fight for the restoration of the bulk of his inheritance I mean by by the time he gets home there'll be there'll be now left mm. well it taken him three years yeah and during this three-year trip uh, you know it was the first time he'd been free of the control of Begum Samru mmm And you imagine that once somebody has told you coldly that they will murder you, having murdered someone in front of you, that you you don't push the boundaries with that person. No. So he decided he he needed to let his hair down. Get some craziness out of his system before he got into the legal grind of things. Yeah. In China, David had been introduced to the fun world of opium. And he had quickly become addicted. Of course. It's very Moorish, I which you believe. Could, yeah. Well, you could say it's another way in which the East India Company had screwed him over because they were you know, responsible for the Opium Wars. Oh, yes. Then, when arriving in Europe and keen to fit in with the, the high society, mm-hmm. Dice Sombra had been inducted into the most fashionable pursuits of the noble classes, mm-hmm. namely the consumption of drugs, alcohol and prostitutes, as oh, well as yeah. gambling, obviously. Oh. Throw that in as well. Yes. It is highly likely that by the time David first set foot in England, he was already infected with a number of venereal diseases. Oh, fab. And was addicted to a range of drugs. Great. But luckily, British doctors were on the forefront of treating STIs. Mainly via the use of medications that contained lots and lots of mercury. Yep. Which is a good thing to put into your system. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah. Which going back to the Alice in Wonderland mention <laughs> that we had?
0: Yeah, going going full circle with that one. Yeah, back to the Hatter and the use of mercury and mercury poisoning, and it did it did send people absolutely insane.
1: Mm. Do you know what else does? Syphilis. Yeah. So the mixture of syphilis and a treatment for syphilis that doesn't work on the syphilis, but mm. adds to your mental problems
0: and addiction to opiates. Yeah, so it's just yeah, it's I heady. Mean,
1: what a trifactor. But, despite this massive disadvantage he'd given himself, Dysombra began the legal proceedings against the East India Company and was frustrated to find that the English legal system, then as now, moves exceptionally slowly. Oh, yeah. So whilst waiting, he decided to try and put into action the second part of his plan, winning friends and influencing people. Okay. He achieved this by giving out lots of completely unsecured loans to anyone who asked. Right. He would also join any high-stakes gambling that was on offer, where he generally lost quite yep. heavily. Yeah. <clears throat> but was pleased enough that while he was hemorrhaging money, he seemed to be surrounding himself with people from London's higher social strata.
0: Well, yeah, people go where the
1: money is. Well, you got to spare money to make money. Yeah, but, you know. you know. And to try and assimilate even further, he also decided he needed to marry into the British nobility.
0: He might be onto something there, syphilis, though.
1: Well, he wasn't planning on actually addressing any of his addictions. Uh, he'd also added alcohol to the mix since arriving in England. Oh, fab. He was also clear he wasn't going to st- stop visiting the prostitutes. Um, but he oh, he God. needed so, a marriage a catch. to legitimise himself. Yeah. <clears throat> added to that, though, you know, just to finish his um, profile yeah. on Tinder... Yeah. Uh the hedonistic lifestyle he was living it had an impact on the way his body looked and he was reportedly already quite overweight and exhibiting um signs of his mental illness including tics and occasional um fits. Wow. Yeah, uh and when he wasn't <laughs> what a cat <laughs> when he wasn't having fits he was apparently um quite prone to bursts of manic impulsivity and irrational anger. Yeah. Yeah that that's addiction for you. Mm. So there's uh, there's all of those reasons not to marry him but then I
0: mean really really um
1: she picked poorly didn't she? Who? The lady. I've not said he's got a lady yet. No. Oh, Begum. Yeah. Well, I don't know that she picked poorly. I think she picked a child and then took him into a world that was unlike anything else. Her sort of kingdom was unique.
0: Yeah, that's picking poorly, Joe. No, it's... it is. He's not the right person. No, He I th- can't
1: handle it. I think the problem is she picked someone and went, right, I'm going to teach you the rules for how to be a successful ruler. The problem was everything she taught him only worked for her because she was so unique. And actually, he was never going to be able to do what she did.
0: Mm. I think
1: anyone you put in that situation was onto a loser.
0: No, I think she'd be better off picking another woman.
1: Well, that's maybe so. And Sombra did have two sisters. Yeah. But she, she went down the traditional male route, which may have been a case of, well, I... It may have been hubris on her part. Well, you know, it I'm might the only have been, woman who could have ever held this together. It might have
0: been. I just think it might have gone a bit better if she'd picked a woman at that point.
1: Well, we do meet um, Dysombra sisters, so you can make a decision at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, he's got all of these physical um, mental flaws. Mm-hmm. But he was also, even without most of his inheritance... Really rich. hmm And in September 1840, Dice Sombra married Mary Ann Jarvis. Mary was the second daughter of a Viscount. Ooh. Specifically, Edward Jarvis. Minty Biscuit. Sorry, Edward Jarvis Jarvis. Minty Biscuit Biscuit. Who was the second Viscount, St Vincent. Okay. As she was only actually third-generation ability, Mary Ann was, relatively speaking, a bit of rough. But she was pretty... Could play the piano nicely, and was a friend of the Duke of Wellington himself. So him of
0: the boots. Yeah,
1: so okay. Maybe Di Sombra was thinking, oh, you know, marrying you gives me access to your inner circle, Fair and deep. you're a notorious London party girl, so you know all of the movers and shakers.
0: Is there? A... It's like
1: a gateway wife.
0: Is there still a Duke of Wellington? I don't
1: think so. And what was? His... I don't think there's a title. What was
0: his first name?
1: Uh, Arthur Wellesley was the Duke of Wellington. The Duke. It feels like it's one of those that you'd have to retire afterwards. You couldn't have uh, the second Duke of Wellington, could you? After Arthur Wellesley.
0: Well, I don't know.
1: know, Just
0: just asking. You know, like
1: American sports teams will retire jerseys. If somebody's played that position so well, like, right, well, no one can play that number again. Yeah. Yeah. I think it must have been the same with the Duke of Wellington. It's like no one else is going to defeat a European dictator, become prime minister, do all the stuff that you did. Fair enough. Immediately after the marriage... Dy Sombra told Marianne that he now expected her to follow the Indian practice of purdah. Right. This basically involves a new wife generally withdrawing from society at large in order to protect her modesty by not exposing herself to strangers without her husband or an approved escort.
0: Well, I'm not being funny, but I don't tend to walk down the street and expose myself.
1: No, this is this is like a very conservative cased system kind of stuff. So this would be you know, she would not be able to come into the lounge when there were male guests. Oh, wow. And this is, no, okay. you know, famed London socialite and party girl. Yeah. Who suddenly, because from what I could read, Sombra didn't mention any of these stipulations before the marriage and, you know, would often be out with her yep. to have access that to all of her come, friends. That had come as a bit of a shock. Yeah, it's just it? like, well, now that we're married, into the kitchen. No. And yeah, she was like, Okay. No. To be fair to Marianne, though, yeah, she just pretty much ignored him and just carried on living her life the way she had before. Good honour, yeah, Good honor I'd hope that. Which apparently had a negative impact on Dice Sombra's mental health. I don't think
0: it's her that's, that's having any impact on his mental health, to be honest. I think he's done it to himself, but carry
1: on. I think it's the, the refusal, you know, because he's, he's still in his head going, at some point, I'm going to get all of Begum's lands back and I will be returning to india to rule the kingdom i'm
0: i'm not really in he's not really endearing himself to me if i'm going to be truthful joe is
1: not all of the characters we talk about are supposed to be endearing no
0: well i'm just saying
1: he's interesting
0: he's something
1: he became convinced that the only reason that marianne had declined to be locked away from the world was that his new wife was planning on having a string of affairs and he decided reason he decided he had to take action
0: nothing to do with the fact that you know most people don't do that
1: well he's a man of action he's gonna he's gonna show that you know sombra steel that begum samru had yeah right and the action he decided to take was to challenge all and any men that he suspected of sleeping with his wife to a duel this included a number of waiters who had the audacity to ask her what food she would like And didn't address him directly as the husband in the relationship. Right. At least half a dozen random servants who he felt had been in the room with her for too long. Yeah. Yeah. More than a few shopkeepers. Okay. Because they had to interact with her. Various members of the nobility. So all of her friends, all of her male friends. Right. Okay. The Duke of Wellington. Which is a bold move? Very bold move. I challenge you, the most famous general in British history, to a duel. I don't think Dysombe had ever fired a gun at this point. No, and I'm not being or raised a sword. Like I'm not being funny. But when
0: when has she had time to have all these affairs?
1: Well, when when he's watching her like a hawk? Yeah, the Duke of Wellington one. I I read that and I immediately thought that Blackadder episode where oh, he's uh, yeah. they're fighting with cannons. Yeah, yeah, and. Probably showing that he was losing a bit of grip on reality. A bit? Her own father. Oh, for he accused his father-in-law right, okay, of having he's... lustful thoughts about his own right, daughter. He's not
0: just lost the grip on reality. He's lost every thread of reality. He is a rug that has unraveled
1: mm.
0: and should be thrown away forthwith.
1: Despite issuing all of these duels, though, he yeah. actually didn't end up dueling anyone.
0: That doesn't because actually me They all, all just went,
1: what? What the hell? Come on
0: now. I mean, when you're even having waiters standing up to you
1: going, mate, what are you doing? Yeah. What do you think you're saying to my wife? I'm asking if she'd like the cheese board, sir. I challenge you to a duel. Does she want the meat or the fish? (laughs) No, I don't get off work till midnight and I'm pretty knackered by then. So I don't think I'll be dueling today, sir. Thank you, sir. And the other thing to remember is all this time, while he was accusing her of having a string of affairs with everyone from her dad to the local really? shopkeep, yeah. he was still sleeping with prostitutes and catching ever more interesting diseases,
0: oh, I which I'm think. sure
1: were cross-pollinating within his um, system.
0: Oh, God.
1: With his mental health clearly fraying and his fraying. legal battles getting nowhere fast, Dice Sombra oh. decided he needed something to do with his days. Yeah, possibly to take his mind off all the affairs.
0: All the affairs and the drink and drug abuse mm. and the shagging about that he's doing.
1: He needs a job, is what he thought. You know, I need something just to occupy my amazing mind. Fucking okay, no. I hell. I can read three languages. I can do math puzzles. There no, must be a could. job. he could. He could. There must be a job for me. And looking to the Duke of Wellington, as an example, yeah. he decided... He was just the kind of person who should enter politics.
0: Yeah, why not? He's unstable enough.
1: Well, it was a great time to make that decision because there just so happened to be a by-election in Sudbury in Suffolk oh, in June gosh. 1841. So David Octoloni di Sombra stood for election. Of course he did. Despite having never actually been to Sudbury or likely knowing anything about Sud- Sudbury. I don't know anything about Sudbury. I don't even know where it is. Would you like to know one fact about Sudbury? One very small one. The wool sack, which is the seat for the Speaker in the House of Lords, is traditionally stuffed with wool from Sudbury. Right. There you go. There you go. So Sudbury wool is used to stuff the wool sack that the Speaker of the House of Lords sits on.
0: I didn't know the Speaker of the House of Lords sat on a wool sack.
1: Then you've learnt a fact about the House of Lords and a fact about Sudbury. This is... You know when we said we were here to entertain and to educate? There's we're finally educating. starting to make good on the second part of that offer.
0: Yeah. I uh yeah, I will not retain that because mm. if I retain that information I will lose a pin number for something somewhere.
1: <laughs> Our kids will not get to a party. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> no, I'll lose a date or a birthday or something. I've only got a, a finite amount of space for
1: facts in my brain. Okay, this isn't the best one to fill that with, so you no. feel free to delete. But I'll,
0: I'll delete.
1: Despite not being able to pick it out on a map and against all odds, Dice Sombra won the election and was duly appointed MP of Sudbury on June 29th, 1841. Wow. Becoming the first person of Asian descent to ever be elected to the House of Commons. Well, that's, that's something. Syphilitic, drug-addled... Visitor of prostitutes and challenger of duels. Of duels. Barely a grip on reality. But still a trailblazer. Oh God. And a true hero. No. Immediately no. after the vote, though, one of the losing candidates demanded an investigation, citing some irregularities he had witnessed in regards to the Dice Sombra campaign.
0: Right.
1: While this investigation was ongoing, it was decided that Dysombra would be able to take up his seat in Parliament. And though he did attend the House on a few occasions, Hansard records indicate that he never spoke even a single word. Right. Let alone made a maiden speech. Awesome. So he was really, really useful then. Yeah, he, he wanted to be an MP. And then I think he became an MP and went, what do I actually do? yeah and they told him that he would have to make speeches and you know put forth legislation yeah. and you know lobby people and he went oh, mm, there's this prostitute and she's not going to um make love to herself so i'll go and deal with that and you deal with the running the country thing okay mm. okay
0: bye jobs are good okay love you bye
1: by April 1842, the investigation had collected a large amount of evidence proving that Dice Sombra had bribed a number of key election officials in order to win. Of course. And he was promptly dismissed.
0: Oh, well. Short but sweet. Yeah. And completely and totally
1: useless. But he's got to have been, you know, he'd he'd been taught by Begum Samru that, you know, if you play fair, you get somewhere. And he tried to do that. And it had blown up in his face. Yeah. So he'd spent a couple of years in England and gone, oh, actually, it seems like might is right. If you've got the money, you can have anything. I think I really do understand the English system now. So he bought yeah. a position. And then he came back to him and went, no, you can't do that. That's not fair. He said, like, what? what? How does your system work? Tell Nobody me.
0: Nobody knows. <laughs> Tell me. Nobody knows. Apart from it's an old boys network. And essentially,
1: if you're in, you're in. And if you're out, you're definitely not in. It was at this point, when he was at his lowest ebb, and when he's probably shaking the railings outside the houses of Commons going, how do you work? He was probably licking them to get lead poisoning. He's got everything else. Yeah, well, it was at that point that his wife, Mary-Anne, decided to have her husband declared insane and placed in an asylum. Oh, thank God for that. In Liverpool. Oh, right. So she had him shipped up north to Liverpool. <laughs> and funny. you imagine the quality of Liverpool asylums... Was oh, just yes. tip top, yeah, yeah. Wow, she cited no
0: bedlam for you. No, no,
1: bedlam is too good for you, yeah. You're going to the Liverpool asylum, whatever fresh hell that is, yeah. Wow, and I love the people of Liverpool, love the city, but you've got to admit, I it, wonder where the site of it is. We can find out, couldn't we? Yeah, and we could go, it's not too far from us, no, it's an afternoon. And then we'll go to the Beatles story. Aww. Celebrate Macca's 80th, looking Mm. more and more like your auntie. Every year that passes.
0: He does.
1: I swear to God, him, the singer from Aerosmith, and Mick Jagger should form a band of just people who look like your great aunt. Your great aunt Mildred. Yeah, they should all wear dresses. Maud Mildred Nethel. Yep. So, reasons for putting him in. Mary Ann cited, paranoid delusions. Mm Mm-hmm as the reason he needed to be placed in an asylum and demanded yeah. that his entire fortune be transferred to her as his legal wife and her family in trust until he recovered. Fair ados. And you could say it's malicious or you could say, you know, she was being... That's all she said, paranoid delusions. And she was being very truthful. Well,
0: yes. And quite is, reserved. You
1: know, I mean,
0: the family dog was lucky he got away without getting caught up in a duel. <laughs>
1: you know what i mean it's like
0: it's the dog <laughs> it
1: wouldn't surprise me at this point <laughs> but yeah i th- i mean she's been remarkably sort of level-headed about it because yeah. she didn't make anything up she just went look i've been married to him for a year and a half and during that time he has challenged at least 20 people to duels, citing these sexual affairs that i've just not been engaged in yeah yeah so fair play to it and it may be that she thought actually he does need help Maybe we can help him. Mm. While it is undoubtedly true, though, Mm. that he was eccentric and he had many issues and that he had paranoid delusions, I don't want to say it's all his fault because in terms of paranoia, it is a matter of historical fact that his guardian had literally told him that she could poison him. Yeah. (laughs) Poison him at any moment without consequence and that he needed to prepare for a life where that could be done to him. By anyone, at any time. Yeah. So it wasn't just her. She was, like, just walking through the palace with him and randomly would go, that servant there, he could be an assassin. What would you do? What would you do? God's sake. Yeah, that would make you paranoid. His lands that he'd been told he was inheriting, you know, they'd been illegally seized by the British East India Company. Oh, we're good at that. Many of the friends he'd made across Europe had refused to recognise or repay loans he had made to them.
0: Well, yeah, he was giving them out willy-nilly. I mean, that's on him, really. That's just really poor His poor own father decisions.
1: was still chasing him for money. Wow, OK. He had often been subject to racist abuse on the streets of London. Uh, yeah, I said that, didn't I? Now, his wife, she had reasons, but she had placed him in an asylum in Liverpool, which seemed a bit... Yeah, that was a bit below the below. out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, you know, if if you're if you're hoping that you're, if you're saying that you want your husband to get help, you probably want him closer so you could check in on how that rehabilitation was going. Yeah, sending him to Liverpool's a bit. Well, to be
0: honest, I think he 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 struck first blow with that. Mm. You know, kind of like she was probably all for the marriage, and then you know he started making accusations left, right, and center, and trying to control every move she made. So you know. Kind of a bit of a tit for tat, don't you think?
1: And in return for a bit of a kickback in terms of the inheritance money that the uh, Viscounts now controlled, the Jarvis Jarvises, uh, his two sisters had agreed that he was definitely legally insane. And they'd always been a bit insane, actually. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, he had a lot of reasons to be paranoid. Yeah. Uh, Add to that the syphilis and the mercury poisoning. It was kind of a perfect storm for him. He didn't have a hope. No. A panel of nine English doctors decided... After having a chat to him and probably being challenged to a duel. Probably. uh, They decided he was indeed insane and agreed that he would need to be kept confined for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Citing very important factors like he looked foreign. That was actually in the medical report. Wow. Yeah. Well, he was foreign. The official diagnosis, though, uh, that they arrived at was that he was indeed, legally speaking, a nincompoop a word that may have developed from the term non-compos mentis. Yeah. But it was an official diagnosis during Georgian... In-
0: it,
1: it, it was an official diagnosis in Georgian England, so... Wow.
0: Wow. Official poop. <laughs> he
1: was an official poop. Dysombra remained in the asylum in Liverpool until September 21st, 1843, when, at 4am, he managed to sneak out and head to Lime Street Station, where he caught a train to London, connected with a train to Southampton... Booked a ferry ticket to La Havre and then onward transport to Paris, where he arrived in less than 48 hours. Amazing. I mean, not exactly an income poop then. No, I was going to say, it's mentally ill person. Because I'm not sure I could manage that trip. No. And I'm absolutely fine. Yeah, starting with, you know, what little cash he had on his person, because you were allowed to keep some cash in asylums to pay for better treatment yes so there was a vested interest and to be fair again to his wife she was giving him an allowance so that he could pay to be kept in slightly better circumstances than okay. your average you know he wasn't naked chained to a wall no covered in his own shit and but he'd, no, he'd saved all of that not. money as much as he could yeah you know he hadn't sprung for the five-star dinner he'd just gone for like the uh you know the early bird special yeah And then he'd orchestrated this plan to get to Paris within two days from Liverpool. Once safely on the continent, he began visiting eminent doctors from across multiple countries, requesting that they assess his mental state. Right. Strangely, although they acknowledged that he was clearly a drug addict, who was suffering from a plethora of illnesses. Oh, yeah. Not a single European doctor found that he was anything but sane, and each wrote a letter confirming their opinion on this fact. Wow. So whereas the English doctors, who may have, you know, received a kickback are like oh, yes, he's an income poop. Yep. All the more objective European doctors who weren't looking to make any profit out of it, yeah. aside from, you know, the consult fee. Oh yeah. They were like, Well, no, he's he's a bit eccentric, but he's rich. What are you expecting from the man?
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, you know, history does say that, you know, how many times sorry. Put my teeth back in, engage my brain and let's just have a think about what I want to say. How many times in history has nobility been proven to be more than a little odd, shall we say? I am the prettiest goose. Absolutely. And all the rest of it, you know. It's the inbreeding. Well, I mean... It is. Yes, it is. It is. And the fact that they don't have a chin between them. Mm.
1: Or the ability to sweat. No. Over the years, Dice Sombra collected 45 such letters. Uh huh. He further supported his claim by writing a book Ooh. about why he wasn't insane. A 459-page book, which has gone from, you know, setting out the reasons you're not insane to appearing to support the insanity itself. Yeah, yeah, that goes full circle. I feel like after 200 pages, it's starting to get into... You you you've said everything you need to say and now you're just arguing back around to, to the honest, original point. To be honest, a small essay would have a pamphlet. sufficed, Yeah. But no, and it is available on archive.org oh if you have an afternoon and you want me. to you want to why I'm not insane. David by David Octoloni dice Sombra. Yeah. He would hand out copies of this 459-page book to anyone and everyone he thought might be able to help his cause. Wow. So imagine the printing cost alone. This is George in England. Yeah. This is you have to have it typeset and then pressed. Yeah. And this is a four hundred and fifty nine page book that he has multiple copies of. Just handing it out. On the streets of various European capitals. Oh my god. I'm not insane. I'm not insane. Read this, funk.
0: Yeah. What is it? Well, it looks like a housebreak, but in fact It is all the ways
1: in which I'm not insane. Yeah.
0: The man doth protest too much, methinks.
1: Well, finally, in June 1951, Dice managed to convince the English authorities to grant him indemnity from arrest so that he could return to the country and have his case heard in court. Fair enough. Dice was only 43 by this point, but his health had been deteriorating steadily during his near decade in exile. There were clear signs of neurological damage, with Dice no longer being able to feel his extremities. Wow. To the point that he had severely burned his feet from lying with them too close to a fire one night. Right. So he'd literally boiled the skin off his feet. Oh my god! But hadn't been able to feel it. So he'd he'd only noticed the next morning when he woke up to the smell of bacon.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And realised it was him. Oh,
0: my feet should not be that colour. Like two boiled hams.
1: (laughs) Gingerly, walking (laughs) tippy-hoof, Dice returned to London and began preparing his defence as he had decided to act as his own lawyer in the case. Fab. Because, you know, he's he spent a decade writing a 459-page book That's... on why he's not insane. So who's going to be I more on top of the facts than Dice Sombra and his cooked feet? His <laughs> boiled ham toes. His hammy toes. Unfortunately, though, yeah. the case never made it to court. Oh, potentially as a result of the ongoing complications of his badly burned feet, mm. or possibly due to more nefarious causes. Well. Dice Sombra was reported to have developed sepsis and died alone and in extreme pain yeah. on July the 1st, 1851. Ooh. His wife and her family were given charge of his body and promptly had it buried in an unmarked grave so that they could get on with enjoying his money. Brutal. However, David Octoloni Sombra was to have the last laugh, because in his will, he had instructed that his entire estate be used to build schools back in Sardhana, India. Oh,
0: well, with his very last, his very last wish, he at least did some good then.
1: Well, he would have done, but mary immediately challenged the will, arguing that no English court had ever overturned the decision that her husband was a nincompoop and as a result, his will should be declared null and void, despite the will being written before he was declared insane. The English court found in her favour and decreed that the entirety of the estate be given to Mary Ann. It was also decided that they may as well drop all of the outstanding legal cases against the East India Company, so long as they gave a small sum to Sombra's surviving sisters as a goodwill gesture. Mm -hmm. And that is the story of David Octoloni Sombra, and how the British managed to remove over thirty billion And how the British managed to remove thirty billion pounds of wealth from India within thirty years of the person who had amassed the wealth dying, using the most tenuous of legal fig leaves to pretend that it was all fair and above board.
0: Well There's not a lot you can say to that, truthfully, apart from don't we look great again in
1: history. But it was all legal. It doesn't make it morally right, Joe. Yes, but since when has morality, you know, featured in the British justice system? Well, it should. Where well, you could be at this point in history, pay a 5 shilling fine for assaulting someone to the point of near death and then be hung for stealing a handkerchief. Yeah, you know, this this was a strange time when it came to laws.
0: Look, I un- I understand I understand that, but I mean, from current day viewpoints, through current day eyes, mm. with current day knowledge of the abhorrent things that our country did across the world. It's just... I mean, is there anything... Is there any stone unturned? I don't think so. I don't think there's a level we have not stooped to.
1: Yet. Give it time. It was eventually the second Asian elected as an MP, your friend and mine, Dadabai Naroji.
0: Yay! Also available as an episode, Year One, so
1: who would call out this bullshit with his drain theory of British rule in India in 1867, which yep. would stoke the fires of the eventual push for Indian independence.
0: Well, Dadabai is an episode in year
1: one. Episode 36, oh, way back when. Oh, there
0: you when. go. Well, yeah. If, yeah, if you want to scroll back to episode 36 and listen to more of the saga mm-hmm. of what we did in India... I mean, not not us personally, obviously, but you know, as Brits, we we you know it's important that you highlight
1: the truth. I'm I'm really hoping that the third um, Asian elected an MP in England has an equally good story. Yeah. So that we can sort of carry it on. i are just going to work our way through the years, just working through the history of people from you know the Indian subcontinent and potentially you know Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and Bangla- Bangladesh. Yeah. Uh, all the way up to present day. <laughs> Would be great if we could, but we'll see. Okay. You're gonna tell me your source. Um, there was no individual source for this. Oh, um, right, okay. Yes, there were a number of articles where it was pieced together. A lot of them were English translations of um Indian newspapers. Oh, I bet they make for interesting reading. They do. You get used to the uh, you know, the the grammatical differences that you'll, yeah. you'll get as a matter of course. But yeah. Yeah, a lot of it was um, people from the region, sort of looking back uh, and adding little bits and bats to the story. Well,
0: do you know what? That's that's something that I haven't even thought about looking at online. Mm. It's like historical newspapers from over the all over the world. I bet there's some dead interesting stuff.
1: There is. Um, some of the podcasts I listen to they they have subscriptions, so they can go back through reams and reams of newspapers you know going back hundreds of years
0: well to me anyway an unknown source of information and
1: an untapped resource for this podcast so as we start getting into the really really unknown stories i may need to may need to spring for a subscription
0: absolutely well we'll talk about that (laughs) no worries hi there it's emma chief organizer at consistently eccentric here to remind you all that if you like what you hear you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on acast spotify and itunes how fancy you can also join us on instagram at consistently eccentric podcast where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot
1: see you next week